From a studio high above the clouds of the Okanagan Valley, this is the Cannabis Podcast. Exploring the world of Canadian cannabis culture, one toke at a time. Now, here's your host and bud tender, Gary Johnston. And as usual, it is my pleasure to be with you here for another episode of the Cannabis Podcast. Got a ton of stuff lined up for you today. Welcome back. And if this is your first time, thanks for stopping by. Hope you're going to enjoy it. We got a few things to talk about today. Uh, a couple of really good stories, actually. Uh, one from the CBC, and I was uh, clued into this one from our friends at OkanaganZ.com. They first posted about this story. You want to get rid of the black market? Well, try opening some more stores. <laughs> We will touch on that. And of course, that has been a sentiment of ours since almost the beginning of the Cannabis Podcast. We're also going to gaze into the future. I dug up a terrific article, and that is talking about some thoughts about what life is going to be like after the second phase of legalization, which of course is October 17th. Now, October 17th is just four days before our next federal election. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about politics on the Cannabis Podcast, but some... I thought exciting news from one of those political parties. We'll touch on that a little bit later. I do have another cultivar corner lined up for you. We're going to sample some White Widow from Canica this week. All of that and more. That's coming up for you on episode 29 of the Cannabis Podcast. From a studio high above the clouds of the Okanagan Valley, this is the Cannabis Podcast. Now, this was a story that I was first clued into, again, from our friends over at OkanaganZ.com, David Wiley and his crew. They posted this on Twitter, and the headline from a CBC story is, Want to limit black market pot sales? Open more stores. This from the Cannabis Policy Council. Now, what an idea. And of course, we have been on this right from the very beginning of doing this podcast. Let me quote from the story. To put a dent in the sales of cannabis on the black market, the Ontario Chamber of Commerce says it will encourage the Ontario government to allow for the opening of more retail locations that sell cannabis products. Ding. Like, I wish I had a bell <laughs> because that is a ring the bell moment. Why has it taken government so long to figure this out? Although there are some that have figured it out, as you'll hear. The chamber plans to launch on Thursday the Ontario Cannabis Policy Council, a lobby group that they say includes cannabis producers, legal experts, and the dean of the University of Guelph School of Agriculture. Daniel Safiani, the co-chair of the OCPC, says there has been some frustration with the way the Doug Ford government implemented its plan for cannabis sales. He spoke with the CBC's Conrad Colaco about how the system might be improved and what this will mean for consumers. The question posed to Daniel was, what's wrong with the way the Ford government has set up how cannabis is sold in Ontario? And his answer, well, I think perspective here is important because Canada is going about legalizing a drug that has been illegal for nearly a century. And in that time, a well-established illegal cannabis market has emerged, meaning some growing pains are to be expected. I think we appreciate that these things don't happen overnight. However, at the same time, Ontario is uniquely positioned to lead Canada's recreational cannabis industry. And we feel, with timely recommendations that are informed and evidence-based, we can help the government unlock Ontario's economic potential on this emerging sector. And there's a whole lot more from Daniel in this story, and I won't bother to read the entire interview for you. You may want to, in fact, click on the link in CBC and listen to that yourself. The point of this is that this is pretty obvious, is it not? <laughs> Should we not have been thinking about this a long time ago? I know here in BC that the glacial pace at which stores have been opening has absolutely been a factor in contributing to the still 
very vibrant black market sector. Two reasons, really, price and availability. The availability, if the availability was taken out of the picture, there would be some agreements to deal with a little bit of price assessment or a price change. I know there would be because if the quality was there and the accessibility was there, there wouldn't be that still dependent, that dependency on the black market, which is, as we have already noted many times on this podcast, still vibrant. So <laughs> glad to see that there is a group in Ontario that's taking this to the fore and realizing that they need to be talking to the government about getting more retail stores available. Interesting here in BC, as you know and have heard, the glacial pace at which uh, store licenses were being released, up until about a month ago, there had been roughly 40 licenses released in the province. And then I guess somebody went through the department and said, people were getting bad press. We need to increase or, or speed up the whole process of how we do this because suddenly things started to really pick up. And over the course of the last three to four weeks, there has been a dearth of licenses released. Some have speculated that they simply wanted to get to over 100 so that by the time legalization is almost at a year, they can say that at least they have 100 locations identified and opened up with licenses. And that is exactly what they did. And so now apparently they have sped up the process. There's not as, not as much, I'm, I'm sure there's still as, as much deep background as it was before, but they're getting faster at letting it through. For example, we spoke about last in last episode that there had been some new licenses released for Kelowna. There's now two that exist, Hobo, which is already open, and then Chiba Chibas, which is going to be located up in uh, the Rutland area of Kelowna. That license was released. Chibas Chibas also got a license for West Kelowna. And there are two more licenses that have now been released for West Kelowna. No, let me let me change that. Three more licenses for West Kelowna. Candera Cannabis, Prime Cannabis, and Spirit Leaf is opening another location, and that is going to be in West Kelowna. So the retail landscape is changing, but as this whole story talks about, if you really want to get rid of the black market, you have to do something about opening up way more stores. Now, I think this is an interesting time to segue into what could be coming up in our future. And this is a story from Botanique. And again, as with all of the pieces I'm talking about, I have put the link back on CannabisPodcast.com. Legal challenges, controversial THC limits, and slow product rollouts. What to expect as cannabis edibles are legalized. Canada is just weeks away from the second wave of legalization. To become legal recreational are edibles, topicals, and extracts, and together, these products are expected to attract millions of new customers and they're part of what's predicted to be a multi-billion dollar industry. But Cortland Sandover-Sly said he sees a lot of misconceptions about how the rollout is going to go, such as when products will actually hit shelves. And we've chatted about this before as well. Sandover-Sly is a partner with Groundwork Consulting and president of the BC Independent Cannabis Association. He guessed products won't be on shelves until mid-January 2020. To quote from him in the article, the new product notifications to Health Canada require a 60-day waiting period. So October 17th comes. Let's say these companies, all these larger corporate publicly traded companies, apply to sell their products on October 18th. Well, add two months for that just for the product to be approved. 
and be available to be on the marketplace, and it's going to be at least December or January before anything is available. Sandover Sly said established companies will likely be the first on the ground with products having a leg up, so to speak. But he certainly thinks there won't be a wave of potential new applicants, new builds. He thinks a lot of people would love to own a cannabis bakery or candy processing facility. So there will be a lot of interest in initial inquiries, but there won't be a way in because the conditions are in place. Building and applying for a license. Starting a $5 million bakery. You've got to build the $5 million bakery and then get licensed. It's still real work, exactly like cultivation. Sandover Sly guessed that six months to a year after October 17, 2019, there may be only a handful of products available in the legal market, and that it would take about five years to get a really good offering of edible products on the shelves. Online, the second wave of products to be legalized are the ones blowing off the shelves, said Andrew Gordon of cannabis retailer Cairo. These are what consumers expect to see when they walk into a retail environment. In order for us to compete, we have to be able to offer the same breadth of products that are available online. Gordon and Sandoversly both agree that more education is crucial through the second wave of legislation. While governments tend to take a punitive approach in its cannabis education efforts focused on impaired driving and other safety issues, retailers must focus on positive messaging, said Gordon. He understands that the government has to take a public health and safety approach, and a lot of that's around what not to do but we're going to promote what you can do and why there is benefit and how you can transition out of more toxic elements like alcohol into something more benign and beneficial like cannabis. Sharing the research and information, creating a community of support around people so they feel empowered to go out and advance this message in a credible and authentic way. Similar to the first wave of legalization that was enacted last year, there is a lot of public education and a lot of catching up to do for the Canadian public. Jenna Valerani, CEO of Niche Canada, said what's missing in the country so far is a conversation and education around what standard dose looks like. And that's important because in the proceeding regulations for edibles, they're talking about a limit of one milligram per edible and 10 milligrams per package. Well, to quote from this story, Valeriana, who also works with Hope for Health, the first registered charity focused on compassionate access to medical cannabis for Canadians, said she understands the 10 milligram THC cap the government has set for edible. Said she understands the 10 milligram THC cap the government has set for edible cannabis products. That's probably leaning on other jurisdictions that have legalized cannabis, mostly Colorado. Valeriani mused. In Colorado, they actually consider the 10 milligram limit a standard dose, which I think is very high. I think there needs to be a more clear conversation between the standard dose versus the maximum amount of THC allowed in packaging. I think that really could be a powerful educational tool. Well-known cannabis lawyer John Conray has already spoken about his intention to launch a court challenge against the new 10 milligram per package THC limit set out for edibles, extracts, and topicals. In an interview with the Georgia Strait, Conroy said the limits are far below what some medical cannabis users require. I've certainly experienced that myself. You've got kids with significant medical issues whose parents have got them medically approved for high-end concentrate extracts, and they still won't be able to get them legally, Conroy said. So the government is once again failing to prevent the violation of the constitutional rights of medically approved patients, Conroy told the Strait. Sarah Lehman, a Vancouver-based lawyer, said Conroy's challenge needs to happen, agreeing that the THC limits for medical users are far too low. Medicinal users tend to be the bulk of the conversations that we're having when it comes to various charter challenges and things like that, 
Lehman told Botanique magazine. It's just going to be enormously expensive and cumbersome for people who need a much higher dosage in order to treat their symptoms. So I think that's really, really problematic. The recreational side of things, she noted, are a little more tenuous. Lehman also pointed to a plethora of restrictions that producers face and how that could impact product availability versus products already available in the illegal market today. Cost and packaging is another huge issue. Driving offenses are another issue that come into play. Although Lehman noted officers in BC aren't charging when it comes to cannabis impaired driving under the criminal code. I think there's a number of reasons for that, she said. Here in BC, we've had the administrative program that kind of took over the impaired driving side of things for the better part of a decade now. So I think that a lot of officers are kind of unfamiliar with making use of the criminal code, which might be one big prohibiting factor for them in terms of now getting up to speed with cannabis impaired driving, which is, of course, a little bit more daunting in terms of what they need to do at the roadside. So some speculation on what may happen in the coming months as we head to the second phase of legalization and again to recap, the Health Canada regulations as proposed for October 17th are that a single edible may contain one milligram of THC and an entire package may contain 10 milligrams of THC. And as you've already heard, there are some court challenges underway which are proposing to go against that and we'll see how those turn out. So the world of legalization in Canada continues to roll along with a few changes in the works. From a studio high above the clouds of the Okanagan Valley, this is the Cannabis Podcast. Now, I had some interesting discussions over this last week. I have been asked to host or participate in a cannabis discussion at a residential community meeting here in the central Okanagan. That's still a month or so away. And we've been having these discussions for a while. And it was really interesting as I had the discussion about getting set up for this education session for probably the better way to describe it. The woman who was helping to organize this and who first approached me, I've known for a few months now, and she is using cannabis medicinally for some of the issues that she has to deal with. And that has truly been her focus is on the medicinal side of things. And it was interesting in a conversation we had just this last week in getting prepared for it. She stated that one of her concerns was in this particular community, she's become known as, as the pot lady. The, as if you want dope, then, then go see her. <laughs> and this is really concerning to her because she feels that medicinally, she's not a pothead, so to speak. And I had to very delicately challenge her point of view, because as I expressed to her in our conversation, that stigma is exactly what we're trying to change by having these educational sessions. By implying that there is a better, a more highly acceptable, a more appropriate use of cannabis in a medicinal fashion than there is in a recreational fashion, is at the very heart of what this stigma is all about. And so I challenged her on that. She subsequently agreed. She thanked me for my courage in, in addressing that with her. And I think it's going to be a really good session we're going to have now that she has, has understood that it is exactly those types of ideas that we're trying to get rid of in this cannabis world. And another good thing that I heard this last week is in relation to our federal election. 
For those not in Canada, there is a federal election, which happens about every four years in our country. The current government, the Liberal government of Justin Trudeau, and I won't even talk about all the stuff that's happened in the news with him lately, because that's not a part of the cannabis podcast. But he is uh, up for re-election, going against uh, Andrew Scheer, the head of the Conservative Party, Jagmeet Singh, who is the head of the New Democratic Party, and Elizabeth May, who is the head of the Green Party in Canada. Maxime Bernier is also in there. He's the head of the uh, People's Party of Canada, which is a relatively new country or a new party in our country. But the exciting news that I heard this last week was from Elizabeth May and the Green Party. And Elizabeth May and her party have pledged that if they are elected, which the likelihood of is pretty slight, I do have to agree, or I do have to say, because it's hard to imagine that they could be a majority government. But nonetheless, it's a great idea. She has pledged to lower the price of legal cannabis in our country as a direct attack against the black market. And why that hasn't been discussed by other people in our country, I have no idea. Because to me, that is the heart of the issue. If Well, two issues. We've already talked about the one, the retail fact that you cannot access any cannabis because the retail locations are not open. But the pricing is also another huge issue in relation to cannabis in our country. So good on Elizabeth May and the Green Party pledging to work to lower the price of legalized cannabis, reduce some other restrictions, kind of restrict, remove the restrictions on some of the ridiculous packaging that has occurred in our legalized world as well. So good on the Green Party for those ideas. I think those are some fast, fantastic ideas that are going to make legalization much better in our country. And, and even if they do not get elected, I'm hoping some of the other parties pick up on that sentiment and put that forth as well, because I think it's really important that we all, first of all, get out and vote. Don't really care who you vote for. Just make sure you do vote, because then you have no reason to bitch afterwards if you don't vote. There's some positive news, I hope, that will happen in the future. Maybe our new government will take a look and lower the price of cannabis in our country. THC, CBD, terpene profiles, what's in me? Oh, please explain to me. Cultivar Corner, Cultivar Corner, oh yeah. Cultivar Corner, please explain this stuff to me. All right, welcome back to Cultivar Corner. It's been a couple of episodes since we made a stop at Cultivar Corner, and I'm pleased to say we're back. Thank you for your suggestions. And uh, although they weren't rolling in by the dozens and dozens, <laughs> I took the information and figured out that our next strain that we're going to take a look at is one that I picked up at a local retailer here in the Okanagan, Hobo, the first store to open up in Kelowna. And that's where I went and picked up Kanika's White Widow. And I'm kind of looking forward to this. When I look at the THC in this particular version of it, my THC is coming out at 16.6%, which is a little less than what they show on the website, identifying White Widow for Canica. And the CBD is less than 0.1%, 0.1%, as many of the CBDs are. So White Widow was bred in Amsterdam with land-raised genetics from Brazil and India. Canica White Widow features an earthy flavor profile, delivers a terpene profile of limonene, caryophyllene, and myrcene, known for its purity, potency, and strength. Well, we'll be the deciding factor on that one. And I have to say, I was pleasantly surprised when I picked up this package from Hobo. Uh, first of all, this was packaged on August 2nd of 2019. It was not packaged over a year ago. And does that ever make a difference in the quality and the freshness 
of the cannabis. This has a beautiful aroma, uh, is not dark brown, and I cannot squeeze the bud and turn it into dust. It does have sufficient moisture level that I can actually grind it with my fingers, but it takes a little bit of work. And I kind of like that. So I love the flavor profile of it. I love the fact that we've got limonene, caryophyllene, and myrcene, as we've spoken before. Now, this is an indica, and myrcene is a pretty important terpene to have, especially for the indicas. Myrcene kind of uh, greases the channel, so to speak, lubricates the CP1 receptors so that they receive all of the other cannabinoids a little bit better. So that's one of the nice things about myrcene. Liking the flavor profile, liking how fresh it is. And now I think it's about time we gave it a taste and see if its taste is as flavorful as it is indicated when we uh, put some heat to this. Decarboxylate our cannabis and see where we end up. So let me just get everything ready here. Get the mighty loaded up. I seem to be doing these podcasts and creating them on Thursdays a lot. And here we are, another Thursday, an exciting Thursday, because not only am I, am I about to sample my cultivar corner, but I'm also in a situation where my uh, outdoor flower is in full bloom. And in fact, checking the trichomes on them in the last couple of days, they're into milky white, and I've got a little bit of amber showing up. And that means it's time for some harvesting. So we're doing some selective harvesting. Okay, I, I digress. <laughs> I haven't even had a toke yet, and I'm already digressing. I think it's time we change that. So first of all, I'm impressed with the quality of the flower that's coming out. This is some of the better stuff we have had from the licensed producers and the provincial retail side of things. Very pleased by that. And I'm really hoping it's going to be a nice taste and a nice hit too. Don't typically do indicas this time of the day, but what the heck. <laughs> this is all about experimentation and finding what works for us, right? So who's to say that an indica is not good? early in the morning for my wake and bake. Well, it's going to be good for my wake and bake right now. And there we go. The magic moment of the mighty. Here we go. This is White Widow from Canica. Okay, I can taste a little of the limonene. Some peppery notes from the caryophyllene. And those earthy tones from the myrcene. Oh, I'm pleased with the taste so far. Old. Nothing's getting in the way there. I'm not feeding any... Uh, Hacking or coughing coming up. Mm. I shall consume a goodly portion of it to make a good determination of the effects. Oh, and I'm already feeling my happy eyes start. That's always a really good indication for me that I have found something. And I think I mentioned before, I have, have a uh, propensity to like the stuff that has some fair amount of myrcene in it. And although I do tend to like sativas, which has a little less myrcene, but I do find on the indicas, if there's a lot of myrcene in it, it's a, a, a cultivar that I'm going to enjoy. Oh, and enjoy it I am. Okay. Initially, I'm getting a really nice little euphoric high. As I say, my happy eyes are there. Starting to feel that body relaxation as well. A little easing of the tension, a little easing of the muscles, and a really nice high. Hmm. And White Widow is very frosty. That's where it came from his name, White Widow, because of all the white crystals that are all over it. And while they're not super abundant, there are certainly some white crystals there, and I'm really enjoying the taste. And <laughs> I'm really enjoying the effect. Hmm.
This is a nice high. I like the way that makes me feel. I'm going to try and stay away from the sleep side because it is still fairly early in my day. But I'm really enjoying that. And I have a sneaking suspicion this is going to make the rest of the podcast fairly easy going today. So, things are improving. Out there in the retail world, as slowly more and more stores are opening up, more and more access is being made available. And that's one of the things I'm going to touch on as well, the fact that if you do want to get rid of black market cannabis, you have to open up more stores so it's more accessible. So I have to say this is a positive outcome for White Widow from Kanika. I will be buying this one again. Exploring the world of Canadian cannabis culture, one toke at a time. This is the Cannabis Podcast. And speaking of one toke at a time, I've just taken care of that. <laughs> Let me finish up with a, some interesting piece that I found. This goes back to something we have talked about ever since day one on the Cannabis Podcast. And that is the existence of terpenes. The wonderful terpenes which makes up the smell, the taste, the aroma... I guess smell and aroma are the same thing, so I kind of duplicated myself there, but you know what I mean. And I've long been calling for the fact that we need to know what terpenes are in our cannabis. Simply, and, and while many places, like Spirit Leaf, when we went out to purchase from there, and Hobo, do indicate the terpenes that are in each strain, what we don't have is the details of how much of that terpene there may actually be within each strain of cannabis. And I came across a tweet on Twitter this last week from at Vape the Bud. Shane's his name. Appreciate the information, Shane. Hope you don't mind me ripping off your tweet. I have posted a link to Shane's tweet back on CannabisPodcast.com. And this was something that he experienced when he was down in Vegas. And his whole point is that he thinks licensed regulators and producers should tell us what cannabinoids and terpenes are in our cannabis. What he has posted is a label from a dispensary out of Vegas. This was for a strain called Wedding Cake which is a hybrid, and here's all the details on the label. Not only do we know that it was a one gram PR and that it was a flower, we also know when it was harvested, which was on May 6th of 2019. And here's the real details in terms of the cannabinoids. THC, 24.44%. Zero CBD, zero CBN. And then when we dive into the terpenes, and then the really cool part is it tells us how many milligrams of each terpene are in this one gram of cannabis. For example, on this particular label, myrcene, 14.11 milligrams per gram. Beta-caryophyllene, 10.05 milligrams per gram. And limonene at 4.75 milligrams. So we can clearly see that myrcene is the most predominant terpene in this, which would make wedding cake a pretty darn good indica, I'm thinking. That's what I would like to see on all of our labels. I'd like to have that kind of label and that kind of a detail so that when we're trying to figure out which of the various terpene combinations work for us, we can have some specifics and we can duplicate those in the future. So thanks for posting that chain at Vape the Bud on Twitter. Appreciate you posting that information. That's information that all of us can benefit from, I think. And that about wraps it up for episode number 29 and next week, we will see if we can locate another cultivar for Cultivar Corner, dig up some more interesting stories about cannabis, always interested in your opinions. Be sure to let me know at info at CannabisPodcast.com. And ladies and gentlemen, that wraps it up for episode number 29 of the Cannabis Podcast. From the cannabis-infused studio, high above the Okanagan Valley, 
This was the Cannabis Podcast. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Tune into a major journey podcast today, where guests take listeners on journeys and immerse themselves in the roller coaster ride both in and out of the cannabis space that brought them to where they are today. Throughout our conversations, guests share valuable lessons that they've learned along the way that listeners can use to empower growth both in their personal and professional lives. Check out a major journey today on all major podcast platforms.